Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey everyone and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 75 for August 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. This is the Phileas Club, which is a show where we get together and talk about uh, the news from the past month or so. Usually, that's what we do. Uh, and we get people from different countries, different cultures, different opinions uh, around the world to tell us how they regarded those big events or local events sometimes uh, in in each of those countries or even, as I was saying, around the world. My name is Patrick Beja, and uh, today I have a lovely panel assembled. Uh, first, as you know he when he's here of course i have to start with him otherwise he he you know flies over and and pokes me uh in the in the belly with a stick or something i don't know turkey how's it going turkey uh, i'm gonna poke you for good this time just wait for me you french <laughs> That sounds weird. Um, yeah, I, I started it, so I shouldn't complain. Hey, uh, Turkey, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, uh, the second person I'd like to welcome to the show uh, was here last month, and you're returning. Wendy, how's it going? Good, good. How is how's Finland? Uh, Finland is, as we were saying before we started recording, it's basically 20 degrees uh, centigrade and everyone is losing their minds that it's it's too warm or not too warm, but it's basically summer here. There, the sun is out, which means it's summer. You're familiar with that since you're in Sweden, right? It, it's 17 degrees here and it's just <gasps> lovely. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I started, you know, it was a pretty crappy month of August, uh, summer wise. But so I started getting into that uh, mindset where when it's above 15, it's like, ooh, that's a nice weather. It and is. It yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, and Matthias was saying that in Germany, where he's from, it's 30 to 35. It was 38 in Paris last week. Uh, and you're basically melting. Everyone is melting over here. No one likes the heat over here, but we still get it sometimes. Hey, Patrick. Hey, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Uh, and God, you're a bunch of sissies, all of you, for God's sake. <laughs> so please, please give us like the, the real heat of, uh, of the world. How hot is it? I just you? went out this morning. It was 40, a nice 43. A what, nice what are 43. you complaining about? Nice. Excellent. Yeah. And now it's 47, you were saying? It should be around 47. Because it's noon. <laughs> nice, <So>. nice. Uh, <laughs> excellent. And well, you know what? What better to go out in such a, a, a lovely weather than to wear an overall burkini? Woohoo! 
oh, I made a burkini joke, which wasn't <laughs> funny. You just wait, you French. I'm going <laughs> to show you good. Uh, so I think the first uh, topic of discussion is probably good. It is going to be the burkini, first of all, because I think it was the main uh, topic of conversation that we had uh, over the past few weeks. And also it, it took France by storm. So it's going to be my, uh, my main topic. Uh, and before we launch into it, I would like to mention that I was really looking forward to having a casual, fun conversation about uh, things of no consequence. You know, it's summer. Uh, nothing's going to happen, right? Nothing's going to, nothing horrible or inc incredibly uh, uh, confrontational is going to happen. And after the Brexit and the US election, and I, I, where it was really hard to sort of make these shows into something that was uh, relatable for everyone. And now I'm sort of in the position of having to not defend, but like on the side of something that is completely unexplainable to the rest of the world. I've seen so many tweets and articles about how is that even possible that it could happen in this country? And people are just in, in disbelief. So... It's. I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's a really just as the past two uh, or three episodes. It's a really difficult topic for me. It's. It's hard to explain all of this in a way that makes sense and stay away yeah. from the different biases. Liber liberty, my ass. <laughs> so people. you French are liberty, my ass. That's we'll get to that. Say. We'll, we'll get to that in <laughs> a second. I'm going to give you a hard time today. Come on. Uh, uh, of it. course, that's what that's what you're here for. Uh, so, uh, of course, in case some people didn't don't know what happened, um, what happened was that uh, there is a very small number of I don't know how many even people, uh, women that were going out on French beaches with a burkini, which is basically the equivalent to the uh, Islamic garments that cover uh, most of the body, but not the face and I guess the feet um, for swimwear and for hanging out on the beach. And that upset uh, some French uh, people and some mayors decided to take an administrative decision to forbid that uh, uh, garment uh, on French beaches, which obviously poses a huge number of questions and, and issues. And I think Turkey... I would I will give you uh, the talking stick, but first I'd like to hear from Wendy um, what she thinks of it, and without any you know introduction or anything, just give us your. I'm not going to say anything. Just tell us what you think of this of this thing. So, as the token female on the, pa on the panel, <laughs> I'll uh, be honest. I, I I really wanted to have a, a woman on the show because it's difficult to talk about all of this without having a woman on the show and. It, even though I don't think it's quite only about women, certainly it's important. So thank you for stepping up. <laughs> right. Well, I think, I mean, so I, I'm going to play not nice through this and ask probably more questions than I'm going to answer because it, I'm really interested in how men perceive this idea that other men are deciding what women wear. <laughs> you know what they can wear and when they can't wear and and that's true all over the world and it I've, i'm sure you've seen all the cartoons where you have um you know a, a man standing there from the middle east telling a woman what to wear and a man from france on the other side there's one that's actually a live action one where he pulls a burqa down over her and then the french guy rips the burqa off and she's wearing a bikini and it just goes back and forth 
um, with Java, not Java, whatever the thing is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a GIF animation. I've I've seen. Yeah, it exactly. Video. There you yeah. go. Thank you. Anyway, um, and and you know this this sort of back and forth of of uh, why women are in the middle of this. Now I understand it's bigger than that with the what the clothes represent and and the challenges of um, you know what has happened in France and the the sentiment there and integration there and there's all sorts of factors but i just the very core of it is are we arguing about what men are wearing right are we having a conversation about a, a traditional clothing that men are wearing i mean is that happening anywhere am i missing that news someone help uh, me no it, it isn't it isn't uh and maybe in some cases it should be but i think we'll i mean this is the big question and the big reaction i think Every there's been a lot of different discussions around this topic, and I think every woman I've talked to was frustrated because of that aspect of it, and that was the main frustration for them. I think for every every woman I've talked to, and certainly for me at least, yes, of, it's sort of unfortunate because of course it is part it's it's you know part of the conversation, but I really think that the conversation is about. <laughs> half of something else, which is also super important. And maybe even in a way it includes it and it's more important. So I, I'll get to that as well. But yeah, your your approach to it is that basically. But, but okay, so what do you think about it? Sure, it's easy. I would say if I'm going to go on the attack, it's easy to say, oh, men are telling women what to wear. So, but what's your, your conclusion? Do you say well, then don't tell them what to wear? So I think you have to pan back a little bit and, and there are some of it, of course, I'm from the United States. And one of the things that occurs very commonly in the United States anyway, is that people wear their religion on their sleeve all the time. So if you've ever traveled through the Southern United States, you know, your average gas station owner uh, will have Jesus saves above the price of gas. I mean, it is, you know, worn on their sleeves. We, we want to make sure all of our presidents are religious. We, you know, we're very, um, well, you want to make sure your pres presidents are religious are from one religion, are Christian. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, however that, that, you know, you, you're in New York and you'll see Hasidic Jews, you know, there are religions that say do certain things. Sikhs are example of, you know, not shaving their beards or, you know, there are men who are obviously religious of one sort or another because they have some mandate to do a, a certain religious thing that is obvious, not shaving sideburns. And so you have the, the long hair on the side for the Hasidic Jew, et cetera. Okay. So there's, there's a little more wearing your religion that everyone's comfortable with, mind you. Islam is new in, in some regards to the United States for wearing your religion outwardly, which is the burqa is a, is a symbol of that, right? And so there's a little bit of that. Now, the bigger picture to me is France and integration. It's, it's always been a problem, a challenge. Um, I think that's true in probably most European countries. Um, and one of those maybe reasons is the housing situation. Of, and you're the expert here, but that's kind of the perception I have is that there's sort of neighborhoods where uh, immigrants will go and, that's, and sort of coalesce and, and not necessarily fully integrated in French society. Well, even worse, it, often it's because of the uh, housing projects of the 70s, 60s, and even 50s, 60s, and 70s, where we had a lot of uh, cheap labor from uh, northern uh, Africa. And 
we put them there. Well, we, I, right. I wasn't even there, but yeah, France <laughs> put them there. Uh, but right. yeah, we, I'll take, I'll take responsibility for it. Uh, the French well, people put them there and uh, it was ghettos basically. So of course, you know, it turned into, although it's not, it's usually not those generations. It's the one that came afterwards, which are becoming uh, the, the core of the issue. But yeah, it's certainly part right. of it. And, and which makes, is often a socioeconomic issue, which is yeah. ultimately where the discontent stems from it, to some extent for that next generation. But then you have this, the factor of the burkini is an example of a form of integration that is extremely valuable. Unless you expect half the world to give up their religion you you can then not expect those women to bring their kids to the pool and have a French life experience that is pretty fundamental to being French, right? Or feeling safe in a culture because they have learned how to swim or that their, their mother can take them in a certain, you know, she can still honor her religious beliefs. And at the same time, it's, it's actually a tool of integration. So yeah. that's the thing I have the problem with is I understand that it's scary on one hand because that's how the human brain works. It associates uh, burqa with the terror that has occurred. That's that's a very simple connection that you know you have to know the issues and study it and you know sort of get out of a fear of it for for that not to be associated. But it is associated for many people. So there yeah. is that now. But for people who know okay. better, yeah. let let's try to keep it a little bit short. We'll dive back into it a little bit uh, longer, but I want to give everyone a chance to, to tell us uh, how they saw it. So just if you can, you know, finish your point. No, that's my point. Point okay. ended. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Turkey, it's your time to, to yell and shine. All right. It's my turn now. Yeah. Go ahead. Go crazy. What the fuck is wrong with you people? All right, that's I, 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 that's clear. Where's enough. freedom? Where's freedom? You just killed the freedom of choice. You killed the freedom of, of faith. You you killed every single freedom by banning people from wearing what they want on the beach. And don't tell me women are oppressed. For God's sake, if the woman is wearing that on the beach because her husband forced her to, then you have the right to go and arrest her husband and put him in jail. But if the woman is on the beach because she wants to follow her faith. And she wants to cover up. Why are you banning her? For God's sake, why are you banning? If it's look, I'm a chauvinistic guy. So if it was up to me, I want all women to be in bikinis on the beach. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I'm not going to force someone to wear a bikini on a beach if that's not what how what if if it's they don't feel comfortable in it. They have a faith that says they shouldn't, and they believe in it, and so on. I don't see who has the right to tell them what to wear and what not to wear. Let's be honest. Most of these women are wearing it willingly. They want to wear it. They All are right. Let me. Okay. Do it. And I'm going to prove that to you. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. that. You met Manal. You met my wife. Yes. My wife is liberal. She doesn't cover. She, she enjoys everything. My wife is threatening from day now. Since we got married, that she's told me one of these days she's going to wear the hijab. Are you telling me if she does decide to do that? And I, me as an individual, I don't approve of hijab, but she has that right if she decides to do it. Are you telling me the day she decides, if she, that day ever comes and she decides to wear the hijab, am I supposed to tell her, no, you are not allowed to do it. I ban you from that. 
So Are you okay, me that's what I'm supposed to do. Obviously, so you're telling me she has no choice in this matter. Well, first of all, I'm not. Um, so I'm glad that <laughs> I'm French. I'm, French I'm now. talking about your. your <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right. That's fair. So I'll, I'd like to say one thing first. Uh, yeah. There was a decision from the Conseil d'État, the State Council, yesterday uh, that had to decide whether or not those uh, administrative decisions were legal or not. And yesterday they decided they weren't legal. So actually, in France, only, you yeah. sorry. It's only one case. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's a precedent for the other cases. It's yeah. it's very clear now that it's not going to be possible for people, for uh, mayors, to prevent women from wearing the burkini if they want to. So that sort of sets things into into perspective because one thing that was very unclear in the way it was reported worldwide was the the there was almost no French uh, uh, person or magazine or media or, or politician that was approving of those decisions. I mean, the the usually the situation that we laid out was there is a societal question and issue that is being paused here, uh, but this is obviously not the solution, if only because how do you even enforce it? And that's what we've seen in, in the very shocking reports of, you know, police officers going to the beaches and asking women to actually take off their clothes, which is shocking for everyone, including the French. I think this is very important to, um, to, to make clear. There were very few people who were looking at this and saying, yes, this is good. I think it was an instance of acting before thinking, not thinking it through, and like going, seeing it actually being uh, uh, put into action and going like, all right, this is not good. This is disgraceful. We shouldn't be doing this. So I, I want to make this clear. Uh, however, and I'll get to yeah. Matthias as well in a second, but I want to ask you, Turkey, in Saudi Arabia, do women have this choice? Can, can no, they, they decide don't have to... the choice. They are oppressed right. here. Okay. All right, so I'm glad this is, uh, 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 you know, something that we can build on for the future discussion we're going to have here. But so you would I, agree I have, that they don't have I've, a choice. I've there. never, I've, I never claimed women are not oppressed in Saudi. Women are oppressed in Saudi. Okay. I agree with that 100. percent Okay, uh, I have no problem. My problem is, I most yeah. of these people who went to France, these immigrants, have left their countries. For one of two reasons, mostly either to escape oppression by a government or to find better life money wise. And you're telling these people you're walking them into their country and they're running from oppression. And some of them are actually even from Islamic countries. Some of these Islamic countries either force them to cover up or force them not to cover up. And then when they arrive into your country, you're telling them, we're going to force you to do something. We don't care whether you're oppressed there. Here, we're going to force our own right. view All right. of how so, you're supposed to dress up. And I have a lot of things to say about this, but I want to give Matthias a chance to, to talk as well. Uh, I, I'm guessing these kinds of debates are, are happening in Germany as well. So I'm curious how you look at this one in particular. Yeah, it's always spilling over from France to Germany if something like that happens. But well, you uh, know what? I'm I'm happy the spillover goes that way around for once. For you once. know, when yeah. the Germans <laughs> spill over from Germany, it doesn't go so well it, for us. So I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep no, going. You can you can talk about this in on so many different levels. I mean, I uh, 
the, the issue you can talk about it from the perspective of equality you can talk about it from the perspective of uh, basic rights and liberties like religious freedom you can talk about it as a symbol of oppression you can talk about it in, in, on so many different levels and a lot of in a lot of cases, people are talking on different levels when they discuss the issue. And uh, it's just kind of funny if you look back like 100 years ago, decency laws stated that you had to wear a minimum amount uh, of clothes if you go to the beach. You know, the old pictures of policemen measuring if the uh, bathing clothes of the women are long enough. And now we're doing the exact opposite, which is kind of ironic. But um, the most disturbing thing, as you mentioned already, the, the incident of the woman that was forced to unclothe partially in, on the beach uh, because she was wearing too much or whatever i mean that's just wrong on so many levels no matter how you uh, come down on the issue itself but if you uh, force someone to uh, i mean you can find them you can ask them to leave but to make them unclothed in public because they wear the wrong kind of clothes for the beach I mean, if I, if I was wearing a diving suit, no one would care. But if I wear hijab or what is it, be burkini, sorry, uh, then it's wrong. All Th of that's a one element, uh, one comparison that a lot of people made uh, yeah. wearing a, a diving it, it, suit. Again, it, it's because of this, the symbol it represents and everything. And but uh, it, it's it's amazing to me that the politicians, that the state itself is, ad, is acting so irrationally in this case. I mean, of course, a lot of people are now uh, wary of Islam or whatever after the attacks in July, and I understand that. And they see this as a symbol that might destabilize society or whatever. But it's the, uh, it's the um, responsibility of the state to be above that not to react to these mood swings if you would call it and uh, to uphold public order even if there are, are those threats no matter what so, so i guess that's, it's yeah that's the most blatant for me i think again uh the the state did do its job the the state council did say that it that this uh, administrative decision that was made on a local level by a few mayors, maybe 15, 10, something like that, in that order of, of you know, that amount, um, was illegal. So, again, the state did do its job, and I think... Yeah, but I mean, I mean, on the local level, that they even thought about this in the first mm. place and tried to enforce it that way. I mean, not that they tried to enforce uh, law, which is okay, but the way they did it, and especially the reaction. There was one politician or one mayor or whatever uh, that actually said that um, they're going after people spreading those photos, those pictures of uh, the policemen uh, on the beach. There was something like... Um, what was it? Um, like actually forbidding he, they, people from sharing them, or yes, yes. well, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, but that's again, obviously idiotic. I mean, yes, of course it is idiotic, but that's the point. The the state shouldn't be that reactionary, that idiotic. They should be the is one. That, is that a feeling that's shared uh, from what you you see in Germany in the media? Maybe what you've seen, like, was that. Similarly, uh, and, uh, anti this decision and this. No, no, event. no, no. That's that's my personal opinion. In Germany, right, but I'm asking what they, what the media yeah, was saying. A lot if of people you... uh, are actually approving of the whole thing because it, over here it's not the burkini; it's more the um, burka 
you know, the fully uh, clothed people in public. and uh, Which we had over- this debate, actually, I remember, with Turkey, and actually because it was happening in France, about the Burka a few years ago. And we had a very similar debate. But uh, So, yeah, it, they're approving of this decision in Germany. I, su- I, su- I, su- I support the Burka ban. Oh, you do? That was not your position a few years ago. No, no. Burka, face cover? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was my position. It's always been my position. Of the burqa ban, banning yes. it in France? When yeah, we the were... fa- face cover. Not yes, the hijab, yes. The burqa. Yes, I do support okay. the ban on the I'd face cover. I'd have to go and listen back to it. Because, but, uh... because for one, I don't think it's Islamic. I honestly believe that it has nothing to do with Islam, the burqa. And I completely believe it's a huge security risk. Right, right. For that reason, I guess everyone agrees. Um, yeah. Okay, then, Matthias, so you're saying it's also it, you, the Burkini debate was going the way of the ban in, in Germany because you have similar concerns, I guess. Yeah, not not on the beach because we don't have a lot of tropical beaches or something where you can actually <laughs> have this issue. Because, so, well, but you no, know, it can but, happen uh, in pools and things like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, but most of the time over here it's discussed in uh, terms of the Burka. And a lot of people, I've, I've read a poll that about 80% of Germans are actually approving of a ban on the burqa or any face veil whatsoever. And at least uh, 30% are uh, for a, at least a partial ban, like in public office or something like that. And uh, so a lot of people support uh, the whole thing because of the uh, uh, this discussion. But again... Um, in the media, it's mostly talked about as uh, in terms of equality, oppression, and uh, re- religious rights. So that's in yeah. the media, that's the discussion. But if you talk to the guy in the street, it's mostly, well, it's Islam, and I don't want that here. It's looking strange, and uh, well, don't mm. don't do that. So I think okay, I'm going to try and explain why it we came to this point in uh, in France with the specificities of of France. And I think there are a couple of elements. First of all, uh, French society is built around this idea of laïcité, which is secularism, if you want to put it in easy terms, but it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, We have, I think, something that is unique in, uh, in, in the world, possibly, but we have an incredibly, uh, not atheist, but really, uh, a separation of religion and public life in a way that is more, you know, important than anywhere else. And that doesn't mean that you can't be religious, uh, but in in public office and public life in general, you know, schools and, uh, uh, I don't know, administrations and government, it's really important for us that you limit your... Uh, the displays of faith to something that is quote unquote acceptable. And I understand this term or of uh, the way you define acceptable is going to be hurtful to some people looking from the outside, but it's really important to us. Like, and it doesn't mean that you can't do anything. That's also very important to point out. I've had a, a lot of people come, well, a few people come to me on Twitter and saying, oh, well, you know, my wife likes to wear a veil and are you telling me she can do it? No. She can. Absolutely. We have very few problems with the veil. Uh, we have no problem with wearing, you know, a small cross or a small uh, chain with a sign of religion. We have no problem with wearing a kippah. And it, this, these are sort of the things that we think aren't uh, 
proselytizing or obnoxious or too provo provoking, I guess, even saying. I mean, someone who would wear uh, uh, the, the Sikh's uh, head cover or the beard, this is not something that we would have such a huge debate about. I really don't think so. However, uh, there is this idea that we don't want religion to become outwardly oppressive, if that's even a... I mean, I'm sure you all understand this idea, and maybe you accept it for your because in your culture, religion is more uh, present. But for us, it is deeply ingrained and part of who we are, of our cultural identity, that religion doesn't take a big part of public life. You can do whatever you want in your private life. You can, again, even wear the veil uh, if you want to. We have lots of uh, women wearing uh, full uh, uh, hijab. Is the full thing the, the hijab, Turkey? The hijab is the veil. That you the veil. Okay, so how do you call like the full uh, robe and the full body garment? Uh, that's basically the burqa, since you cover your burqa. face. Oh, no, if you don't oh. cover your face, you have the veil and the rest of the body, but not the face. Uh, here we call it abaya. I don't know okay. if there's another name for it to some okay. other countries. All right, so that, that kind of thing. We have lots of women wearing this, and in some places, I, obviously it would make people a little bit more uncomfortable, but not to the point that it raises to that level of public issue. The reason why the burkini became a problem in that sense is that it is attached to the idea of uh, you know, it, 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 it is attached to the idea of laicite, of secularism, and this issue that we've had in, in uh, France for a few years now of the uh, Muslim community, some parts, small parts, but still parts of the uh, Muslim community asking for, quote-unquote, uh, special treatment. And it... it gets to um, issues like segregation in pools. That's the, most, the one that came to my mind because it's the most important one. Um, basically asking for different days on uh, pool days, days for women only and days for men only. And of course, it didn't happen. Uh, the, the, it, there was you know, minor scandals, but it didn't happen. And, and the state and the authorities decided, no, we can't do that. And I think that is the rational uh, decision. That's the rational way of approaching it. But when you have these demands uh, coming on, you know, some of them are, I think, still being debated, but more uh, acceptable to French society. Uh, things like special meals uh, for for school, um, always having an option that is uh, pork free, for example, or, or uh, halal or kasher. And these are, you know, a little bit more discussed, but it's not rising to the level of this issue. But Couple that with, uh, you know, the, the growing Muslim population that in some cases is asking for these things. And, and of course, uh, you can't, you know, uh, forget about those, the terrorist attacks and the fact that these tools, I think it's important to, uh, uh, to point this out as well. It is play into two camps, uh, uh, rule book, the racists who are using this to fuel anti-Muslim and anti-Islam sentiment. It's absolutely true. And also for the extremists uh, that are trying to bring, you know, 
build this into a sentiment of oppression for uh, the Muslim communities that can be more easily radicalized in some cases. But there is a real concern, I don't know if it's justified, but it's definitely there, that some parts of the Muslim populations, sure, now it's a few cases and it's ridiculous to uh, build this into a giant issue, but you have some neighborhoods in, in France and in Paris, uh, in the country, as Wendy described, because of the missteps of the French uh, uh, society in the past few decades, where you only have, uh, you know, you have a large majority of Muslim populations. And in some cases, there is disenfranchised uh, uh, populations and people who do turn to, uh, I'm not even going to say extreme versions of Islam, but conservative Islam. And it's absolutely not uh, impossible. It's very uh, uh, possible that in some of those neighborhoods, a woman who would choose to uh, not wear uh, an um, Islamic garment would get uh, criticized or, you know, pointed to or even uh, uh, insulted. Or I would, I would think, maybe I'm being manipulated by the media, but I would think that some women would feel like they would have to, lest they be uh, berated or even, uh, uh, you know, shoved or even uh, 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 be victim of aggression by some of those uh, uh, conservative young men. And it just happens so, so, to so be... Let, of, let me finish. Let me finish, Turkey. Let me finish. Them. Let me finish. All right. if, if it was... It's not about so much Islam. It just happens that Islam is the flavor of religion uh, conservatism that we have now. But we've also seen some... Um, uh, the rise of uh, Hasidic Jews in some portions of the of the uh, country, and I can tell you that this makes us equally as uncomfortable, and we would fight as strongly uh, to uh, to to prevent extremes extreme versions of that. So it's it's really the deeply ingrained religion in its extremes in its most conservative forms. We, we, we think it's not good for the society as a whole, so let's make sure that it stays contained and that it stays to the side. So it's, that sort of is for the reasonable people. I'm not talking about neither the racists or the uh, uh, you know, fundamentalists. This is the reason why the population, the, the reasonable people in France are concerned with all of this. And I think dismissing this concern is as dangerous and as misguided as going to the extreme of forbidding the burkini on the beach, which, again, I agree with you, Turkey, is not the right solution. But Isn't it also the case that uh, a lot of politicians are already in election mode in France right now? So they're blowing this a bit out of proportion or making this their stick. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, especially Nicolas Sarkozy again. He's he's trying for another presidency run. And now uh, he's just uh, playing along those lines to get on the picture of the, every paper on the front yeah, page. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is definitely he has decided to take a, a, a line that is to the right of his party, which is the you know, uh, uh, the conservative party in France. But I mean, there are a couple of things. First of all, you have to remember, as I often say, 
you have to remember what the conservative, the right uh, side of the aisle is in France. It's not the same as everywhere else in the world. Um, but yes, certainly on immigration and on those matters, he's he's sort of flirting with the uh, far right in a much more, I would say, uh, quote unquote, acceptable manner. And if you if you remember when I was talking about Trump last episode, even the far right in France reviled as it is by French citizens and around the world, it is much more acceptable than the even Farage in in the in the UK. It is much more presentable. They're certainly extreme and they're anti-immigration and you know they're they're a far right movement. But it's not the crazies. And I've seen already a few people branding Trump uh sorry, branding Sarkozy as the Trump of France. And that is that's really silly, um, especially since some of the things he's saying are said by some of the uh, parts of the left uh, side of the aisle in France as well, which are, are being branded as traitors and as far-right advocates. But it sort of explains and exemplifies the, the level of uh, the, the the issue that we're living in, in France now. There is a real concern about the attack on fundamental French values. It's as if you would tell people in, you know, in, in the US, you can't have a flag on your, on your lawn. You know, it's like, no, that, that's not going to fly. You know, it's, it's very, um, it's not just, oh, well, you can't wear your, your veil in public. It, it's much deeper than that. It touches on much bigger issues and identity issues than that. The, 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 the example I gave of uh, dividing the pool days, for example, between men and women is not a theoretical uh, question that was asked of French society. It's an actual issue that we had to resolve. Of course, it was easy to resolve. Well, it wasn't easy, actually. It was a, a heavy debate. We've had problems where um, in schools, it was difficult for teachers to talk about religion. Because uh, in some cases, and again, it might be isolated incidents blown out of proportion, and it's important to say that, but it did happen. We had issues where uh, some Muslim uh, communities were, not even Muslim communities, but Muslim kids were um, having issues with the teachers talking about religion and talking about, you know, these kinds of topics. So it is being asked of the French people uh, all the time, and that's why it turned into this gigantic issue been talking a lot and probably saying a few stupid things so i apologize but uh, um turkey i cut you off before did you want to add something i was just gonna say instead of trying to help these women to fight the oppression and protect them from it you go and issue a law that's actually oppresses them more by forcing them to do something whether they want to or not is that how you feel wendy Really, ultimately, if we strip everything else, is that the way you you feel it's uh, it's presenting women with the, that situation? Well, I, on one hand, yeah, it's being told again what to wear, what not to wear, right? And and you don't know at, at their core what they believe they want to wear. Um, you can't always test that, but I I agree with Turkey. There are many all of my Muslim friends here. I have asked them directly. Do you want to be wearing that? Is that in your heart of hearts, your belief? And it has nothing to do with that your husband makes you or that your family, you know, I, I dug into these questions with them and at least the ones I know, which is only a handful, of course, they feel it deeply and it's, it's a beautiful thing for them. And it is 
valuable to them. So to have them be told you cannot wear that is, is just as oppressive as the other thing we're afraid of. But I don't know if that's the, I guess the bigger point that you brought up in a roundabout way is that the French have invited slash allowed whatever, all of these people, I mean, it's the highest Muslim population in Europe. You got 8% of your population is Muslim. That is a huge number of people that you're essentially saying to them, be French, just be French. And that's, that's what's happening in Sweden, but there's a totally different element. So I just, can I just briefly talk about how it works in Sweden? Oh, please do. Because, Sweden is my example for everything basically. So, uh, well, and I, I think there's a reason it, it works in a way that is, is enviable here. And that is, that Swedes have a couple values that are just very, very strong. And one is, so they're, they're pretty secular, actually. Um, I'm not sure that if they're as secular as France, they, they don't have it written down and don't have a, a fancy French word for it, but <laughs> they're pretty secular. And um, the way they see religion in any form, even just Christians, which they used to be a Christian nation, they'll just see them as kind of odd, right? So all of these, this influx of refugees and people with various, you know, forms of religious um, opinions and, you know, dress and you name it. They just see it all as a little bit weird. And they have a similar attitude of like, okay, you're in Sweden, just be Swedish. Okay. And here, this, it, you just do what we do, which is, you know, drink a lot of coffee and, <laughs> and have a lot of meetings. And, you know, it's a very, a very peaceful, like the value system within Sweden, I think this is why it works. Highly value of peace, low conflict, high, high value in everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. So, so yes, they'll, go ahead. So, so what happens in the similar situation, do you think? Like if we have the pool divide, asking for the pool to be divided in, in men and women days. So here's, here's a perfect example. The, my kids' school, there's plenty of kids who've immigrated to Sweden that go to my kids' school. And they have three options for food. They have the gluten-free, egg-free, allergy one. Then they've got the regular food that everyone's going to eat. And then they have the halal version and the no pork and the, you know. And so it, that's what they do. And that, that, was, that is a way that they, because they're going to they're gonna accommodate a gluten-free kid in a heartbeat. They're going to accommodate a kid who doesn't eat pork in a heartbeat. And that's because everyone has the same value. Now, they, you know, 160,000 refugees came to Sweden last year. Is Sweden drowning a little bit? Yeah. Like, are they able to accommodate everybody? No. I mean, is it is a really tough transition? Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, are maybe choosing not to come to Sweden now or, or not staying because it's hard to get a job or whatever. So there's other factors. It's not a utopia that everyone thinks it is. However, there's these values that, I mean, it is also built in. So you've got some French values that are at play here, which is, I'm not going to accommodate this thing because we're secular. Whereas Sweden is secular and they may think you're odd, but the accommodation is about human equality, not about you're trying to take, and, and that's kind of the American vibe, at least the Trump version of this, which is you're going to come in here and tell me what to do with my country. No way. So I, I really don't know the answer for France. I don't know what the characteristics of it. So it's hard. You can't, it's comparing apples and oranges when you say, Oh, well, Sweden's doing it. Well, part of that is you, you, you talk to any Swede and it is the everyone's equal. You watch. I mean, it's a very interesting thing. So when you apply that to people who are very different from them, 
especially religiously, because most of them are not religious. They're trying to accommodate. But here's where a little bit of good old American capitalism might be helpful. I know you're a fan, so I can bring capitalism up, right? Thank you very much. Um, because there are, I have a friend here who would love to work out at a gym. She's Muslim and she can't go to one where men are working out. And so the idea is talking to a couple people and maybe we start a gym and it isn't, it's just a women's only gym. Nothing too radical about that. Um, but that's a business idea that she's, she but and that, some friends are looking to doing. Is that something that would be accepted by super equalitarian Sweden, a women's only gym? Yes. Okay. So you don't have a problem with the idea that maybe not even now, but down, down the line, it equates to some form of oppression of women. Because for me, I really don't think I could be accused of not being a feminist. I'm, I'm very much concerned with equality. And it's something that I think about a lot and, and, you know, discuss very often. This seems to me like force, you know, at the core of it, The reason why women are wearing these garments are because the the body of the woman is temptation and it should be covered because it's, you know, sinful and it shouldn't be uh, presented to the eyes of men that are easily corrupted. And so that's, you know, how maybe that's the Frenchness in me, you know, and analyzing it. And, and there are many examples and I'm not only seeing this one, but this should be an issue for people who have who who are uh who want men and women to be equal and going the route of having a women only gym seems to me counterproductive to solving that issue i should maybe clarify if it was a men only gym in sweden it would never work <laughs> um because again it's this idea of it's the feminist perspective sweden is a very feminist country Um, and, and that's partly why the equal rights stuff is, is so big is that they're constantly fighting for that, you know, it, get back and, and Turkey can jump in here with what the actual Quran says, but, you know, at its core, there's teachings in all religions that have monitored sexuality throughout history. Correct. And the, this, the objectification of women is not a problem, uh, or is a problem everywhere. So you could ask, you know, a 13-year-old American teenage girl who has an eating disorder and is obsessed with how she looks because she is, you know, taught one thing that she has value for, that objectification of her as a sex object, is that any more, I'm going to answer my question, it is absolutely just as terrifying as a girl who's told you have to cover up from head to toe absolutely. because you're a sex object. And we should work in both cases and in all cases to right. sort of combat that, not to to encourage it. And you, you combat it, Patrick, by telling the women that your body is your body. You shouldn't be ashamed. It's not something that you need to hide and stuff like that. And you have the right. If you feel like it, you can show it. Not by telling them you have to show it. That's I agree. And I think... Ultimately, I had that conversation with my wife, and for 99.9% of all of our conversations, it's basically nauseatingly syrupy, lovey-dovey, everything. Like, <laughs> I ask her for the bottle of water, and she blows me a kiss. It's ridiculous. 
in this one, it was sort of a little bit tense. We were very careful to choose our words and to not, you know, launch into a heated debate. Um, but ultimately, I think she, she was right, as is often the case. Uh, she said that you can't solve this issue with just these kinds of things. And again, I'm going to point it out again, the state council said this was illegal. So ultimately, our decision was that we shouldn't do that. But she said... Um, that the way you fight this is not in three days or a year, it's 10, 15, 20 years, and you have to invest in education and in yes. integration and all of this. And ultimately, I think I agree. You need to listen least. more to your wife. She's a smart <laughs> lady. She is. She is. And one of that, one big piece of that is the education of girls around the world. I mean, that in the end, that's you're right. 50 years from now, this could be a very different conversation because it can be solved from the ground up, but it doesn't get solved from no offense, old white guys still deciding what everyone's wearing. <laughs> and, 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 and everything enough. takes time. And, and uh, for example, in Saudi, like I think 60 years ago, 70 years ago, the the percentage of women who actually are educated was less than 1% in the entire country. Now, 99% of women in Saudi are educated, and a gigantic majority of them actually go to college and graduate with a bachelor's degree at least. And they even outnumber the guys in graduating from school. You take time. You the, These women need time. They need to be educated. They and it evolves with time. You give them their rights slowly, whether it's you let them know they have these rights and they start to adapt to it. And that's how you get change. You don't come and force change on anybody. You know, I really hate it when Turkey is, is more reasonable than me. Um, but I have to admit <laughs> that it's I agree with you there. Um, all right. That was a really long and interesting conversation on the Burkini. Um, I think we can, uh, we can move on. I wanted to mention about equality that Norway now has a joint draft uh, for uh, military service and women bunk with men. And it's Oops. apparently going fine. So it's not, you know, it, 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 the, the, the people who are in that, uh, in, in those casernes, uh, uh, uh Sorry, I don't remember the the word in English. The the soldiers are, were saying it was a little bit weird at first. Of course, it was it was actually very weird. But after a few weeks, you just it's fine. You just uh, get used to it, and you 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 don't get the weirdness anymore. So, just wanted to mention we still have ways to go if we want to be like the uh, Nordic and Nordic countries, and and Norway is showing the way. So, there you yes. go. I think it's because it's not hot here. They can get along. <laughs> <laughs> I think absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, all right, let's let's By go. By the way, we, we we really need to get the statue made up for. Uh, the individual who invented ACs, because we would be dead by now here. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, you guys wouldn't be wouldn't be in, in great shape. Although you know, you survived for a few thousand years without it. So, maybe yeah, but what okay. we were like what five hundred thousand in this entire place. Now there's twenty million, thirty right. million. All of this a, thanks to AC. <laughs> oh, trust me, it is for thanks to AC. <laughs> AC and medicine. Medicine also played a part. Medicine also AC. helps. That's true. 
Um, all right, let's go around around the table and and see what other things have been happening uh, in in the world, not just France and uh, and Burkini. Uh, Wendy, is there anything from Sweden worth noting, or the U.S. actually? Yeah. Oh, I don't pay attention to the U.S. So, because um, okay. <laughs> it uh, there's nothing good coming out of there. No. Um, you know the the immigration stuff is always a thing here, and it's interesting. Uh, Sweden. Well, their version of closing borders happened uh, in January or so, and all that meant was they asked for your name and sort of got a little information about you. So I'm not sure their closing was that dramatic. However, they they have uh, a really because I make it sound like it's perfect here, but they have a very tight. Um, housing and job market. And so it's, it's really tough for anyone to find work once they're here. They're, they're pretty liberal welfare package when you come and they will bring your family. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of great things for, for refugees, but a lot of folks are not interested in waiting in line and waiting for papers to go through or, or, you know, getting their family here or whatnot. And so a lot are going back and, and Sweden has start started to pay a per person an amount. I think it's 300, 3,500 pounds. I forgot what that is in any other currency. I don't even know if the pound is worth anything anymore. I forgot. Uh, the, but anyway, the pound, you mean the, the Swedish, uh, is it the, no, the crown? The British pound is what oh, the, the, pound, the okay. article was in, in an English newspaper. Oh, okay. But then it's, um, I think it's about 40,000 crowns is what it is. And then a family, they, they'll pay a certain amount as well to relocate them to wherever they want to go. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. We had a huge influx and now they're sort of going out the door in, in a different way. And, and some of that really is, and, and it kind of couples with the point we were making about equality. Sweden has a very high standard of um, education. You have to have a certain level before, I mean, to be a, a cleaner, you know, if you were going to clean a hotel or just somebody's home or a business, you have to have a degree. <laughs> so it is very education, 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 which keeps, you know, everyone uh, being paid well and everyone has to reach a certain amount, but it's very tough um, as a refugee For to come in. refugees, yeah. Yeah. So in the last year or two, I mean, it's out of, you know, 100,000 people or so, about 500 jobs were secured within a year, which is not many. Jesus. So it's a, yeah, really tough. And, and I'm having that, with the friends I have here, if they're very educated, they're teachers, um, you know, they're, they're pretty desperate for teachers to work with various languages so they can get jobs fairly easily, but most have to do three more years of school to get validated. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, wait a second. Did you say 500, 500, 500 yeah. jobs out of a hundred thousand refugees in that, in that year period. So in the first year, getting a job within a year was, was easier. Was, mm was the 500. So it's very, it's very challenging. But then if you stick it through the long haul, you've got a great situation, but you, you've you got to do school and lots of things. So they're, they're having an interesting sort of turning around and people not quite as excited to get here and less, mm. less applications in general. And so it's, that's kind of always in the news here. Cause it's a big, okay. big thing. It's yeah, it's interesting. And, and, it's easy for us to forget that they actually fled a country that was in war and in flames. And yeah. that's something that is, yeah, again, easily lost. And yes. a lot of people think that they come here like it's an opportunity for them and they want to come here. And some of them, maybe they do. 
But mostly it's people leaving their homes that are burning and destroyed. And yeah. it's very traumatic. And that is, I, you know, I may, might have mentioned it on the show. Um, histor my history is laden with that. So I, I tend to remind it to people when I can. It's, it's not a fun thing to do. And however fun and cool your country is, or you think your country is, most of those people love their own country probably just as much and they probably didn't want to leave it. So. Right. And would go back in a heartbeat if it were safe. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the tragedy of it. Uh, Finland has declared uh, a couple of those countries safe now. And they were like, it's okay. You can go back. There is a, a lot of right wing propaganda happening here. Not, you know, wow. not the majority, but there's like, yeah, now that place is safe. Just go back. And like, well, is Syria really safe? Is it really? <laughs> no, it's not Syria, but anyway. Okay. Um, oh, no, no, it's not okay. Syria. Uh, I think someone it's... wanted to declare Syria safe over here. They wanted to send back refugees to Syria because there's not all in all the country there's war. Only a small part, so you can send them back to safe parts of the country, you know? Yeah, so, something like that. I think Iraq was declared safe, or can't remember, but... Uh... Uh, Mat Matthias, since you're, you've been silent for a long time, go ahead, go nuts. Tell us what's happening in Germany. Well, there are all-time favorites over here talking about, uh, for example, Turkey and our good friend Erdogan trying to build his little dictatorship and stuff like oh, that. Oh, you're, you're talking don't about mean... me? Yeah, yeah well, that's no, no, what no, I was no, saying. Well, well, close <laughs> enough, I guess. This Turkey <laughs> will also try them. Uh, um, no, but uh, this last week, uh, everyone was talking about something completely different. They were talking about hoarding because our government uh, just uh, uh, um, announced a new concept for civil defense and uh, it's uh, the concept what uh, the government uh, is planning in case of an em emergency so back in the 90s it was still from the cold war era in case the soviet union would march into germany and stuff like that but nowadays it's more like natural disasters or if a terrorist attack happened uh, for that uh, someone might sabotage a power plant you know cyber attacks because whenever politicians don't know about anything about technology they could just call it cyber over here <laughs> so we have cyber attacks oh and, just uh, and just so people understand germany in case they I don't know that Germany doesn't have an army, an actual nominal army, uh, because of have. you know World War II. It's called no, a, no, a defense force, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's the defense no, force, just like that's, Japan. That's Japan, that's Japan. Yeah, not Germany. No, Germany has an army. Oh, we they have do? an army, and um, the uh, army when it was founded was for defensive purposes only, right, right. because the uh, German, uh, the Bundeswehr, as it is called, the army can only. Uh, should only operate in, within Germany on defensive purposes. But in the 90s, they started to expand that. And now we're also uh, using the Bundeswehr abroad. You know, like the first one was in right. Kosovo back in the 90s, in the Kosovo right. War. Similar now, with Japan, uh, actually, yeah. Yeah, and um, while we're not part of the coalition of the willing back in the um, 2003, we didn't participate in Iraq war, but we do have soldiers in Afghanistan, and uh, they're also supplying uh, aid like um, reconnaissance aircraft and stuff like that. It's a limited scope, but we do have the Bundeswehr, and it's actually being used abroad as well. Just uh, in theory, it should be only defensive. All but, right, so what's uh, this hoarding case, thing? 
Yeah, well, they announced this new concept, uh, what uh, is like stuff like strategies, how the general population would be warned about threats and stuff like that. And one part of this strategy is that uh, the general population itself should be more involved. So uh, every uh, household should have a certain amount of supplies so they could sustain themselves for a number of days. I think it was around 10 days. Everyone should have enough supplies for 10 days. And um, a lot of people are criticizing this uh, as fear-mongering, especially since we had our own little terrorist attacks, uh, if you want to call them, uh, a few weeks back. And it's not because of that. Actually, the concept was created after 9-11, but um, it's just announced this week and everyone was saying well now the government wants everyone to hoard stuff uh, like exactly exactly the opposite what you normally would ask them to do like not go out and buy in panic and stuff like that but um, as a concept they now want you to be able to sustain yourself for 10 days until the uh, professional help if you want to call that like the uh, um, government can kick in their help programs. So that's so basically stuff. Germany is asking yeah. everyone to turn into preppers like they do in yes. the US, yes. like to have a bunker <laughs> with <laughs> fresh. Although, I mean, it's not asking people to go out and, and buy everything in a panic. It's the opposite of that. It, it's asking them yeah. to do it now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why I said it's mockingly described right. as that, because okay. uh, a lot of, of uh, politicians now criticize uh, the government for announcing this right at this moment and uh, use it to just... Uh, um, for their own agendas because they want to increase security and uh, stuff like that. So they just create this feeling like everyone should be afraid now and prepare and stuff like that. So that's mm. the way they are criticizing it. And, you know, stuff like Twitter, of course, they never take anything seriously. So the hoarding stuff was just uh, all over the news. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny, though. It doesn't seem like a, a really bad idea to have... A few days worth of water and maybe some canned food that you have. I mean, I understand that this is sort of silly because it, at the same time, it would never, it, the chance that something bad enough happens that you would need these kinds of things is one in a million or billion. You have more chances of something bad happening when you walk out in the street or drive a car. But I don't know. It's my, it's my natural insecurities that tell me, you know, it's not such a bad idea. Just have a, few bottles of water, canned food, and a flashlight. It's not just the uh, threat of a terrorist attack, but also like a natural disaster or something like yeah. that. I mean, now we saw that in, in Italy, the earthquake and stuff like that. So if something like that would happen over here or flooding or whatever, that you can at least um, sustain yourself for a few days. And again, the... the reason this is such a big deal is because it's a fundamental shift from what was planned in the 90s and even further back in the Cold War, because uh, Germany, the government has grain reserves and strategic oil reserves and stuff like that. And uh, up until now, everyone was just uh, saying, well, if something happens, the state has uh, provisions for the uh, general population to um, uh, keep them alive for a certain number of days and now uh, they're shifting this more away from the state sponsored one to uh, sustain yourself uh, as long as possible and after the uh, 10 days or something help will be there so that's definitely you know just a shift in yeah my, my position on this is we never know when the aliens are going to attack so we might as well be prepared just it's it's not going to be bad just it's good it's it's better um 
All right, Turkey, what happened in Saudi Arabia? Oh, what happened in Saudi Arabia? I don't think there's much interesting stuff. I think the most interesting thing would have been the hack they've discovered for the iPhone, which they found it in the UAE. A human rights lawyer uh, once received a text message that apparently by just clicking the text, the link, they were able to access and install spyware on it. So, well, uh, yeah, that was that happened a few, I think, last week, and it was patched uh, very quickly by Apple. Uh, that's not very common that they would patch it so quickly. Uh, but yeah, it was the the vulnerability that meant if you went to a web page, I think it, you would just get spyware installed or thing like that. Yeah, on your and phone. that. Oh, no wonder they would fix it so quickly because that's a huge, huge risk. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, risk because it originated in the UAE. Apparently, that's uh, at least that's how they found it. Okay, it so was it was a, a text message that was sent to a human rights lawyer in the UAE. Uh, apparently, the text message said, "Look at what uh, the oppressed, uh, the torture of Emiratis in the government jails." Link. So when something like that happens. Uh, what's the reaction? Is that like, yes, we have hackers too, and they're awesome, or I don't know. (laughs) No, we already always had hackers. No, this is more of a government hack. Ah, okay. So you mean it's it's actually a... a... This looks more like a government hack than an actual hacker. Hmm. So okay. and uh, and the whole thing with uh, it's mostly tech. That's what's and also WhatsApp. Now they're sending uh, information to Facebook. Uh, what do you your mean? phone number and now if you the new WhatsApp, if you install uh, upgrade it, uh, if you're you just press a. Uh, you're being cut off. It's Facebook, really hard to understand you, Turkey. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I have, I have no idea. It's now Turkey's now. getting hacked as well. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, becoming dangerous here. So is it better now? <laughs> it's a little bit better, yeah. Yeah, so basically WhatsApp, if you do the update and you just go ahead and press agree, you're basically agreeing to share your information with Facebook. And Facebook right, are saying right. they're going to use it to better target you with advertisements. Is that a concern in, in Saudi Arabia? I mean, you use all of these tools as well. Is is privacy and uh, these kinds of things being discussed? Do you use like yeah, ad blockers? And... Oh yeah, of course. Privacy is huge. It's uh, it's even bigger in Saudi than in a lot of countries because, as you know, we are conservative people. We have people would don't to the extreme. We're conservative to the extreme. People don't want people to see the pictures of their wives or their daughters or their sisters and that someone would have access to those photos. Even if they're just normal photos, it's still a shameful thing to share. So you have things like criticize other people or criticize the government or so on. You don't want people to know that they're criticizing a, a relative, a friend, or the government. So it's uh, privacy is huge here in Saudi. Mm, yeah, of course, it makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and actually that I didn't know a normal picture of someone can be considered, uh, oh, yeah. even, even to the point that even if she's even veiled, some people find it offensive to be shared. Wow. 
Okay. That yeah, you is... have a different level of people. You have the people who are extreme liberals who wouldn't have a problem of sharing their photo of their naked wife. Of course, not in Saudi. In Saudi, they'll end up in jail or killed. And then you have the extreme right who wouldn't even want their wife's photo even completely covered, being shared in public. And what does the so, the, the government say? The government says that you shouldn't share these photos, period. Including veiled. And uh, let me give you a point. Women here in Saudi, everybody's required to have an ID card. It's the law. You have to uh, have an ID card. The government issue and you an ID card. As soon as you turn 15, uh, for men, for uh, boys, you have to get the ID card. I think girls, I think 18 or 21, I'm not exactly sure. And part of that ID card is a photo of you. So women are also required to have a photo in their ID cards. They they are required to be veiled, but their face uncovered. And that's their ID photo. If I go, for example, I have the ID card of Manal, my wife, and because I need her ID to get her something. Let's say she needs a new phone line. You need an ID card. So I'm taking her. I'm taking it for her. And I go into the place. We have two sections, women's section and male, male section. Since I'm the one who's going, I have to go to the male section. And if I give them the ID card of my wife and they look at it, there's an 80% chance the guy who looks at it will put his thumb or a piece of paper on her photo so he doesn't look at it. Okay. I am kind of <laughs> speechless. <laughs> I guess it's and, not and necessarily that 80% of them wouldn't want to look at them. And that but guy it's, is being respectful. That's, no, yeah, that's what I was going to say. For the case yeah. that that person wouldn't want him to look at the... But still, it's yeah. that's messed up, man. <laughs> it's messed up. It is messed up. In my book, it is messed up. I, once I went and I, I had a, uh, the idea of my mom. I, I don't remember exactly what I was doing. And the guy did that. He put a piece of paper on, the photo, on my mom's photo. And I looked... Seriously, dude? <laughs> yeah, but if I, I mean, was ashamed of my mom, I would have to put the paper on her before giving it to you. I'm not ashamed, for God's sake. No, but I guess, yeah, I guess it's easy to... But then the person might have had issues with people who come in and have those things and they say, please, you know, cover the, the picture. They might get angry because they are those kinds of conservatives. So, yeah. But it's, it, it, it's just really... What's the point? The, I, the point of having the photo is so you can look at the person and compare and make sure it's the same person. Well, yeah, but then the point of you bringing the photo of your wife is not going to help that in any way. So they do that. They do that even if she was in person. Oh, especially if she's covered. If her oh, face really? is covered, they wouldn't look at the photo and they wouldn't even try to compare. They might end up saying, "Oh, just go to the female section." Hmm. Well, you sometimes know what? The woman would say, sometimes the woman would say, you know what? I'll uncover. Just look at me and process it. I'm not going to go stand in line in the female section. And he would still refuse. As you said, the very wise words of Turkey of uh, August 2016, these things take time. And I think that we <laughs> should, we, that's what we have to take away from this entire episode. Uh, which, by the way, thank you very much to all three of you for, for being on and uh, for uh, playing along with my frustration and anger. And, uh, you know, the, it, it is, again, 
not an easy topic, but uh, I think it was a really good conversation. So, so thanks you. Thank you very much for being on. Um, Wendy, do you have anything you want to promote any place we can find you on the internet? I know you use Instagram, but... I do. You can find me on Instagram, Wendy Dunford. And uh, sometimes I post on therapythursdays.com. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I like this sometimes. Yeah, I love um, commitment. <laughs> Matthias, what about you? If people want to talk to me or yell at me for all the stupid stuff I just said, uh, you can just reach out to me on uh, Twitter. The handle is at Matzekult, M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T. And, uh, well, that's all up, I think. Uh, the, the link will be in the show notes, of course. Uh, and Turkey, of course, uh, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Turkey Alvalati. U-R-K-I-A-L-B-A-L-L-A-A. And this is a warning. Apparently, my wife is telling me that I'm going through a midlife crisis So, because I'm turning 40 in December. So I don't take any responsibility of what I might end up writing on Twitter in the next three, four months. You know what? Uh, you have yeah. a lovely wife. And that's what I also have a lovely wife. And my midlife crisis when I turned 40 was, was fine. So I think you'll be fine as well. <laughs> uh, I hate to tell you this, Turkey. It's a little longer than three or four months. <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> you know, 30 was fine for me. I know some people have issues with when they turn oh, 30. 30. 30 was fine for me. Yeah. I had no problem with 30. It might be more for women uh, that 30 is starting to uh, oh, sting no. a little bit. But, uh, and, she, and she warned me. She said, I'm not allowed to buy a convertible or a sports car <laughs> or anything like that. My response to her was, I don't like convertibles or sports car. However, I might go buy a hundred $50,000 car and end up poor in the street begging for money for the rest of my life. <laughs> Well, I don't know. You could buy a, a giant, super powerful gaming PC, for example, and that would be that would be good. No? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Ideas, ideas. Thank you. <laughs> so, if you want to yeah, send I ideas, ten eighty, Nvidia ten eighty. Finally, yes. There you go. There you That's, go. There That's. Go. I think. I think you could sell that to your <laughs> wife as your midlife crisis present. I think it would work. And if you have <laughs> other ideas, uh, you can go suggest them to Turkey. Uh, again, the link will be in the show notes. Um, <laughs> If you want to follow me, I'm not Patrick on Twitter, and you can find this show at frenchspin.com. And of course, if you wish to support the show financially with hard-earned uh, money in cash that you think is well spent on a, a show like this, you can go to patreon.com slash the Phyllis Club. Uh, there I have to admit, there was a number of, uh, of you that... Um, that went to the site and started supporting the show after the the last couple of episodes. So I think a lot of people appreciate the um, kind of debate we're having here. And I'm incredibly thankful for your um, uh, showing of support for something like that. As I often say, it's not an easy show to do, but I also think it's an important show to do. And I really uh, in, enjoy and, and uh, appreciate being part of it. So uh, thank you so much to the many, many people who go uh, support the show financially. Patreon.com slash The Phileas Club. That will be it for us today. We will be back next month with God knows what other issue is going to turn out that's going to make the show uh, challenging to, to, to make. But I guess we'll have to find out. All of us together talking about it instead of yelling in our own corner. 
Talk to you then. 